Proverbs 31 The sayings of King Lemuel, an oracle his mother taught him. O my son, O son of my womb, O son of my vows, do not spend your strength on women, your vigour on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what the law decrees, and deprive all of the oppressed of their rights. Give beer to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Well, um, as we do begin, I thought I'd let you in on a little secret. Um, I started planning for this series last November, uh, but I only finalised what to say in this last talk earlier this week. Uh, that's because, well, as you know, chapter 31 is the subject of endless Mother's Day sermons, birthday cards and women's conferences. Uh, and my dilemma is best epitomised by my talk title today, which I've called, you'll see on your handout there, The Impossibly Perfect Wife. Uh, with lavish descriptions of her, like verse 29, uh, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. I've heard it said that most men are intimidated by her and all women feel like rubbish compared to her. Uh, and so it's somewhat ironic that uh, my own wife, Wendy, said to me this week, surely you're not finishing the series with that passage. Well, I am. Uh, and here's why. Do you remember the structure diagram that we've kept returning to? Uh, it's on your handout, and it should also be on the screen. Proverbs is full of those pithy sayings, but the content curator included an introduction and a conclusion for a reason. And that reason is to help us make sense of the whole book. 
Which means that actually today the big question from Proverbs 31 is not who is this woman or how do I find her? The big question is why does Proverbs conclude with her? After all, I wonder if you would have chosen to make this your final word to your readers. Well, a spoiler alert, I'm going to suggest today that chapter 31 is the perfect finish to the series because it recaps all the major themes we've been seeing. And that's why I want to urge you to keep doing what I've encouraged you each week, to make time for today's discussion and reflection. It's at the bottom of the handout there. It invites you to reflect on what you've learned on the whole series and how you might respond. Well, here we go with uh, today's talk. You'll see the three points there on your handout. A wise mother, a wise king, and a wise wife. Point one, a wise mother. Let me read verses one and two again. The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Well, like Agur in chapter 30, Lemuel in chapter 31 is a non-Israelite. Even more, he's a non-Israelite king. But like Agur, his sayings, according to verse 1, they are recognised as an inspired utterance. Now, the significance of that you'll see printed on the handout there. There's a quote there from Lindsay Wilson, the uh, Victorian theologian who I referred to earlier in this series. His commentary on Proverbs is brilliant. Here's what he says. Lemuel was not a king in Israel or Judea, so this foreign material has been incorporated into this wisdom book because its truths need hearing. Because its truths need hearing. But did you notice that verse 1 also tells us that King Lemuel's inspired utterance is not something that he's discovered for himself. In fact, we're told he was taught it by his mum. That's a really helpful reminder of what we've seen throughout this whole book, that is that wisdom is learned in community. It's passed down by the elders. Isn't that interesting? Proverbs began with a father's advice to his son. Do you remember talk two and those lectures, those life lessons and the poems about Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly? Proverbs began with a father's advice to his son, but it's going to finish with the mother having the final word. As an aside, uh, let me just note that verses 1 and 2 set up some really interesting family dynamics. Uh, Firstly, uh, Lemuel, we're told he's a king. That means that his mother is the king's mother. That's a position of considerable authority. Uh, But did you notice also that Lemuel has some pretty significant parental expectations to live up to? Verse 2, my son, the answer to my prayers. Well, point two then, a wise king, verses three through nine. What has Lemuel learned from mum? Well, you'll see in your handout two things about the type of king that he should aspire to be, uh, what he should not do and then what he should do. Let's start with what he should not do. Let me reread verses three through seven. Verse three. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. 
What shouldn't King Lemuel do? Well, he shouldn't chase after women or be given over to wine, to drunken debauchery. That is, he is not to be a pampered, self-indulgent glutton, which sadly is always a temptation for a monarch. And in particular, Lemuel is not to be driven by sexual gratification. If you recall, this is a time when royal harems were common. And if you remember Talk 3 and my top tips, uh, wherever possible, consider the context. You recall the historical context is that King Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. In fact, the king mother's advice to Lemuel about women is so important, it'll be the subject of the poem in verses 10 through 31, which we'll come back to. Well, that's what he shouldn't do. What should he do? Pick it up in verses 8 and 9. Lemuel, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Lemuel's mother is telling him that, as king, he ought to be a voice for the voiceless. He's not to play politics in the royal court seeking his own gain. Rather, he's to make the courageous choice to do what is right because no one can compel him to do that? That's the whole point of being the sovereign? He's to be the kind of king, verse 8, who speaks up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Because if the king won't lead by example, none of his officials will ever bother trying. You might say that he ought to strive for a noble character, to anticipate what's about to follow. Well, a wise mother, a wise king, point three then, a wise wife, verses 10 through 31. The focus of the king mother's advice to Lemuel in verses 10 through 31 is on the type of wife he might seek. Now, we all know how significant marriage alliances are for royalty, And we've seen again and again throughout this series that company shapes character. Wisdom is learned in community. So who you consort with will shape who you become. It's a sad tragedy of history that Solomon's unbelieving wives did turn him from the Lord. Well, verses 10 through 31, they're what's called an acrostic poem. Uh, Let me explain what that means. Uh, You'll see the words there on your handout, an acrostic. Uh, There's 22 verses, and they correspond to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet because in each of the subsequent verses, the next verse begins with the next letter in the alphabet. So you might call this the A to Z of the subject. Well, let me just make three brief observations about a wife of noble character. Firstly, If the examples given feel culturally outdated, uh, there's reference to spindle and flax. My guess is most of us don't know what that means or have ever seen them. But if it feels culturally outdated, I reckon it's pretty easy for us to come up with a modern-day equivalent of a Chapter 31 woman. Uh, Here's my attempt. In a word, I call her Supermum. Supermum. Because some of the things that are described of her in those 22 verses, well, she has a full-time job. In fact, she actually runs her own small business. But she also ensures that all the household chores get done, somehow. 
She makes perfectly nutritious meals and she also volunteers in a soup kitchen. My personal favourite is in verse 28. Uh, Verse 28, um, her children arise and call her blessed. Her children arise and call her her blessed. Um, The image here is that uh, she's got kids. The first words upon waking in the morning is that they run into their mum's bedroom to thank mum for everything she's going to do for them in the day ahead. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, if that's how she's described, the second thing to notice, what's equally prominent is what isn't mentioned. See, in the A to Z of a wife of noble character, there is nothing mentioned about her outward appearance, about her looks. In fact, verse 30 points out, verse 30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. I hardly need to remind us of the superficial and destructive way our world esteems women, for the way it saddles them with the impossible burdens of physical beauty. By contrast, verse 30 goes on to say, verse 30, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You recognise that state, that phrase, fears the Lord? It sounds familiar. We're going to return to it at the end of the talk. Well, third and final observation about this wife of noble character. It's no wonder, I think, that the first description of her character in verse 10, verse 10, she is worth far more than rubies. She is worth far more than rubies. Now, again, that's an important phrase, and we're going to come back to that. But for now, I just want to, again, uh, point out the historical context that's important. Um, In Solomon's golden age of prosperity... There was so much gold that, in fact, well, silver, by comparison, was even considered to be worthless, and that meant rubies were very, very rare. Uh, Look what I've printed there for you on 1 Kings 10, verse 21, on your handout. All King Solomon's goblets were gold. All the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver, because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. Well, what can I say other than, wow. This chapter 31 woman really does seem perfect. In fact, almost impossibly so. And it forces us to ask the question, well, what are we meant to do with all that? Uh, you recall I made a reference to the complicated family dynamics here. King Lemuel's mum is speaking to him about the kind of wife he should seek. I wonder if in phrasing it this way, what she's really done is said, no woman is ever going to be good enough for my baby boy. What are we meant to do with this passage? Well, before, me, before I answer, here's the part of which I just want to pause for a moment. Um, I want to say that if Lemuel did follow his mother's advice and find a chapter 31 wife like this, he'd be pretty pleased, don't you think? Uh, And so with that in mind, here's my little bit of fun for today. Um, I think I've found her. I think I've found this woman. Now, I've gone low budget today because um, this is my show and tell moment, um, which is just a a polite way of saying it's gonna fulfill my childhood fantasy. I've always wanted to be a play school presenter. So here we go, I brought a photo. Rather than on screen, 
Ready? Here it is. Look at that photo. I know you're thinking, oh my, don't they look young? Yeah, that's because we were. Now, don't worry, don't worry. I'm not going to point out all the ways in which chapter 31 describes my wonderful wife, Wendy. Uh, for the record, it does, but it wouldn't be appropriate in a Sunday sermon. But here's my point. Did you know that even today, a pious Jewish husband will recite chapter 31 in praise of his wife in front of his family at the weekly Sabbath meal? He'll recite this entire poem every week in front of his whole family to praise his wife. Now, I found myself wondering this week, I uh, wonder what their kids would think of that. Would they find that awkward? Or would it make them feel safe and secure? After all, the best thing that parents can give their kids is a great marriage. At the very least, I reckon it would help the children to shape their views around what marriage ought to be like. Just like Lemuel's mother instructing her son. But back to the problem... If chapter 31 is no more than dating advice from a mother to her son, a kind of checklist for eligible young bachelors, then what does it say to the rest of us? What does it say to, and um, I can't believe I'm actually going to say this while speaking to a camera, what does it say to the bachelorettes out there? What does it say to those of us who are already married? Should they print chapter 31 out and give it to their spouse and say, you really ought to be more like that? For the record, please don't do that. Can I suggest that's a really dumb idea? What does it say to those of us who are not married or who might never be? Now, I'm going to try and answer this question by returning to the problem with which I began. Do you remember the problem? Why does Proverbs end this way? And the way I'm going to do so is by first answering that more pressing question of, who is this woman in chapter 31? If you look at your handout, you'll see that there's three different possibilities that I'd like to suggest. Let's work through them in order. Firstly, she could be Lady Wisdom personified. She could be Lady Wisdom personified. Now, what I mean by that is that you'll recall back in chapters 1 through 9, there are a whole series of poems that describe the appeal and attractiveness of the way of wisdom by referring to her as Lady Wisdom. Perhaps this is just another one of those poems. And there's uh, certainly the strength of that view is in the striking parallel with chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Have a look there, printed on your handout, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. Blessed are those who find wisdom those who gain understanding for wisdom is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold wisdom is more precious than rubies nothing you can desire can compare with her now you can see the resemblance between those poems and the one in chapter 31 so that's the first possibility it's lady wisdom personified uh, second possibility on your handout there is that chapter 31 is a metaphor for Jesus. It's a metaphor for Jesus. Now, bear with me. I know this feels like a bit of a long bow to draw, but let me try and explain. Some well-meaning Christians reach this conclusion 
because they look at the wife as described in chapter 31 and they say she is so impossibly perfect that she's too good to be true. In fact, only Jesus could do all of that. Uh, to put it slightly differently, to answer the question back in chapter 10, in verse 10 of Proverbs, who can find a wife of noble character? The answer is no one, because she doesn't exist. And that's possible, but I guess my concern is that I can't help but think that surely the content curator could have used a more obvious signpost to the Messiah. And so then to the third possibility, again on your handout. Who is this woman in chapter 31? She's an example of someone who has succeeded in the quest to find wisdom. In other words, verse 10 is not a rhetorical question. Verse 10 is not saying no one can find her because she doesn't exist. Rather, it's inviting us to imagine how wonderful it would be to meet someone like her. Now, this view, chapter 31, is more than just dating advice from a mother to a son. It's an exhortation for all of us to live like this woman does. It means that chapter 31 is less describing a noble wife or even a wise wife. Instead, it's describing a wise person. It's describing someone who any of us could become. And so it gives us hope that all of us might succeed. To put it slightly differently, I think chapter 31 is about much more than biblical womanhood, although it is about that. It's about much more than just biblical womanhood. It's not about how to be a woman. It's about how to be wise. And if that's what chapter 31 is about, then I think it has a much broader application. It can apply to wives and husbands, to bachelors and bachelorettes. It's not about, and I've printed these phrases there on your handout, it's not about who to date, but who to emulate, whatever your situation in life. Chapter 31 is not asking, how do I find her? It's asking, how do I become like her? And what's really remarkable is that in a patriarchal society like the one in which the content curator was working, a society that undervalued women or valued them for all the wrong reasons, nevertheless, the content curator has chosen to finish his book with the example of a woman who has succeeded in the quest to find wisdom. If I could take that idea and just push it a little bit further... As I've read and reread chapter 31 over the last week, it seems to me that without blurring gender distinctives, there's very little in chapter 31 that I, as a man and a husband, should not also aspire to. Uh, true, there'd be some tweaking, but I think everyone, regardless of gender, is meant to imitate this woman's noble character. I think that causes for a little bit of soul-searching. 
What if you were to insert your name into verses 10 through 31? What if those 22 descriptions there, the A to Z, they were descriptions of you? Would it fit? What would those around you say? Well, if I'm right in my interpretation of Proverbs 31, wonder if you can now see why the content curator has concluded his book this way. So he's finished with a lovely summary of all the themes of Proverbs embodied in a person who has succeeded in this great quest to find wisdom. And this person's example is not to make you despair that you're not there yet, because actually none of us are fully complete. We're all works in progress. Rather, it's meant to give you hope that it's possible, that this person in chapter 31 is real and it could be you. How wonderful it is to belong to a community here at Holy Trinity full of men and women who are trying to be like her. And yet even if you want to be like her, where would you start? Well, let me return full circle to where we began our series and here's where we're going to conclude. So in Proverbs 31 verse 30, I referred to it earlier, it says, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I said that phrase, the fears the Lord, that's significant. We've seen it throughout the series. You remember actually, it was right back in chapter 1 verse 7, in the opening. Print it on your handout. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. One last time, what does fear the Lord mean? Well, here's how I think we might apply it to this wonderfully wise woman in chapter 31. She is a person who admits her shortcomings and ignorance, praising God because he hasn't given up on her, even when she's tempted to stop trying to be wise. She recognises that her finiteness and failings she recognises her finiteness and failings, but she knows that the Lord is the one who transforms her, that he does so by his change agent, the Holy Spirit, through her daily meditation on his word. And she believes it is possible to succeed on this quest, not because of who she is, but because of him who is at work in her, who longs for her to be conformed to the image of Christ in the way a parent longs for its child to be fully mature. I can't help but think that Colossians 1 verse 29 would sum her up beautifully. On your handout, one last verse. Paul says, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And so the content curator in his usual indirect proverbial fashion, has concluded by urging us to become like her. And as we are changed, we'll be as radiant and noble as she is. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time in this series. We thank you, thank you that you've caused all scripture to be written for our benefit. 
we pray that as we reflect on the way in which Proverbs describes your world, but more importantly, who you are, that each day you might fix our eyes firmly on Jesus, conform us more and more to his image, and enable us to live for his glory and his glory alone. Amen.